birthday, a big shout out and thank you to uh, Ashley and Jim. It's great to have a designated clapper. You know, clapping is a way to express joy. Like when you think about it, when you are at a performance or you want to encourage your kids or I don't know where else we use, but we, I seem to be clapping all the time. We clap as a way to express appreciation, as a way to express joy. And that's why it's appropriate in a worship service when we clap. We're really clapping to the Lord to express our joy and appreciation. My problem is, is I don't know when to clap. And I'm always, cl- Crystal says she's musical. I'm not. She says, don't ever start the clapping, because you never start started at the right time. It's always, uh, um, you got it off the wrong beat. And so whenever I'm singing, I want to clap. i got to be careful, because I can lead a whole bunch of people astray. So now we have a designated clapper that tells us when to clap, all right? And when, when he stops, I stop. And so uh, I love it. Thank you, Ashley, for that modification for people like me. Some, not, some of you don't need that. I need that, and I'm excited about that, because it gives me a chance to express my joy in my worship. So we've been in a series uh, on the Jesus' most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we began the series because Jesus began it this way, that I'm calling you to be salt and light, to preserve the name of God and to make people thirsty for God in your culture, and then to be light, to show people to God. And then, of course, the question, well, how do I do that? And the answer is, you obey me. And as we obey Jesus, when we obey Jesus, people see Jesus. Well, then what does it mean to obey? And so Jesus gives this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that shows us what obedience to God looks like. Now, in the first uh, chapter of this, uh, in chapter, chapter 5 of Matthew, which is the first part of the sermon, the sermon goes over three different chapters. You, Jesus keeps using this phrase. If you've been here, you would have heard it said. You have heard it said, but now I say to you. And so Jesus was re-upping uh, the, the understanding of righteousness. It's not just external. It's not just these actions. It's about what comes out of the heart. And so he kept saying, you've heard it said, don't murder. I'm saying, don't hate. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm saying, don't even lust. You've heard it said, you know, uh, and then he goes on and on and on and, and tells and helps people understand that obedience must come from the heart. Well, then in chapter six, when we get in, he drops that saying. Remember, he's in a sermon, we're in chapters. But in the middle of his sermon, he drops that saying, and he becomes now more focused on different things. And I think the reason why is that the first part of his sermons is the what. What does it look like to obey me? And then the second part of the sermon will be the why. Stop and think about that. Why we do what we do is as important as what we do. There's a famous, uh, now this lines up with Jesus' sermon or Jesus' teaching because there's a famous story that Jesus told. And, you know, people who've never read the Bible or ever gone to church and never had any interest in church, know this story, because it's just such a good story. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in the story, there's a father who has two sons. And I believe the sons represent the what and the why. The younger son represents the what. What does it mean to obey God? And the older son represents why do we obey God and how important that is. So in... uh, 
Matthew or Luke chapter 15, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, the inheritance and everything, and he took it and he set off in a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. The younger son dishonors his father by what he did. He sowed and took the money and sowed his life to the flesh and lived out all kinds of wild living, which would have been dishonoring to the father. He lived in self-gratification, doing what his desires and pleasures wanted. And Jesus is saying that that son dishonored his father by what he did, his actions. The son, if you know the story, the the son comes, that younger son comes back after he spent everything and he's down in the dumps. He comes back to the father. The father receives him back with open arms, forgives him completely, and brings him back into the family at the same level as if he had never left. But meanwhile, there's the older son, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when the partying and the son coming back all happened. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. And because he has him back safe and sound, there's a great joy happening that your younger brother, you know, the one that spent his part of the inheritance on wild living, prostitutes, drugs, alcohol, the whole bit, he went, old, he went full bore into that. You remember that guy? He's back and your father's celebrating. Well, the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in, so his father went out and he pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving, (laughs) interesting choice of words, I've been slaving for you, I stayed here on the farm, I worked the farm, I dealt with the problems, I obeyed you. And, you've, and I never disobeyed one of your orders, and yet you've never given me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. And so what we see is that the older son didn't dishonor the father by what he did. He dishonored the father by why he did what he did. He obeyed the father fully. But his heart was far from honoring the father. He obeyed so he could manipulate the father and get what he wanted. Now, um, Tim Keller wrote a fabulous book on this story called Prodigal God. And in it, he tells a story. I'm going to modify the story a little bit. But he tells a story that I have told you before because it's so good. It just shows how the why affects what we do. And in the story, there is a peasant, a farmer, who uh, uh, grows an incredible crop of pineapple, and he has one that's so big, nobody has ever seen it before. It becomes, you know, the, the, at all the fairs and the markets, people are coming to see this pineapple. It's huge, it's humongous. And so he decides, the peasant, to take it to the king and give it to the king, because he knows the king loves pineapples, and he wants to express his appreciation and love for the king. And so he comes into the court, and he said, this has been grown, and, and it's the greatest thing I've ever grown, and so I just want to give it to you as a way to 
honor you and respect you. And the king goes nuts over this pineapple. And he, he's praising, I love pineapple, says the king. And, and he said, I am so pleased with this that there is a piece of land I own that's next to your farm. I'm going to give it to you so you can grow more pineapples like this for people and for me. And the peasant goes out wondering, can't believe that, that he has been gifted so much. Meanwhile, there is a noble in the room that receives the peasant where the king received the peasant. And he watches and he goes, you know what? If the king rewards that peasant for a stupid pineapple like that, what would happen if somebody really brought him a great gift? And so the next day, that noble shows up with this beautiful stallion, and he, he has the king come to a window, look down on the court, and he said, this is the best stallion of our famous stables, and I want to bring it to you and give it to you as a gift. And the king nods his head and turns around and walks away. And the noble is so upset, so furious with the king that he follows the king and he says, excuse me, I, I don't understand. And the king says, what don't you understand? He said, well, yesterday a peasant came in and gave you a pineapple and you rewarded him generously and I give you the best that I have of my stables, this horse, and you don't even say thank you. And the king says, well, here's the difference. The peasant gave me the pineapple. You are giving yourself the horse. Hmm. That's the story of the older brother. And it is also, I think, what Jesus is beginning to talk about as we enter chapter 6. That why you do what you do is as important as what we do. Now this is uh, where, this is a stumbling block in Christianity and baked into all of us, or most of us, is this sense that I have to do something for God to earn from God. If I want forgiveness, I have to live in such a way. I gotta obey, I gotta give, I gotta do things that will earn God's pleasure, and then, then he owes me forgiveness. If you ask most people outside of true faith, they believe that it's their good works that gets them right with God, and then they can get forgiveness. But the scripture clearly teaches that I and you, all of us, are incapable of earning forgiveness of sins and eternal life because of our continual sin. That we are incapable of paying the price, of dealing with the sin that we have been sinning for years and continue to sin. And so God sent his own son to die in our place on the cross and there paid in full the justice that is required for sin against God, paid in full, and then when he resurrected from the dead, offers to those who are willing to put their faith in Christ the free gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So that when a person admits their sin, believes that the death and resurrection of Jesus pays for their sin, and then chooses to surrender and follow Christ, then God says, I give to you eternal life. It's a gift. But that is a stumbling block for many people because they think, I thought this before I came to faith in Christ, that I had to earn from God his favor and his blessing and his forgiveness. By doing religious works, praying and giving and trying my best and not murdering anybody. <laughs> at least on that one, final one I've been pretty good I haven't murdered anybody yet <coughs> but 
But you see, what God is trying to create in us is a heart that trusts in him. And then you might ask, well, then what is the point of obedience? If, if obeying God's laws doesn't get me into heaven, doesn't get me eternal life, doesn't get me forgiveness of sins, then why do we talk about obedience? Well, because obedience, while it doesn't earn us favor with God, is our way to express our love to God. Just as being faithful to your spouse doesn't earn you your marriage, but it's your way that you express and keep your love for your spouse by being faithful, obeying your vows. And so God is wanting to create in us a heart of natural, uh, uncommon obedience to the mind and the heart and the ways of God. Because when we obey God, people see God. Uh, Mike, a friend of mine, had uh, two events happen in the same day that really brought this out in his life. So he was at a supermarket, and he, he went in, and the supermarkets that had, you need to have a loony to put in and get the cart. And uh, he, was, he walked in to get the cart, and there was a lady in front of him, and she had a little baby, and she was kind of juggling the baby and trying to dig in her purse and find a loony, and he was waiting, and soon there was a line waiting, and you know, he's getting a little bit irritated. Come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Finally, she just gave up because she couldn't find the loony and she's juggling the kid and she walked away and Mike just took out his loony and p- put it in the cart and went into the shop. And later on that day, he was heading into the city and he was going down the 404 and you know where the, four, you know where the 404 meets the 401? <laughs> you know, yeah. And so he, of course, the, the big blob of cars and there was a transport truck trying to get into the lane and move over the lane because he was going to head the wrong direction. You know, you get in the wrong lane, you're like, hello, Mississauga, right? Like, so you've you got to get in the right lane. And he was trying to get in the right lane, and nobody would let him in. And whenever there was a, uh, a little bit of a gap that he would try to move into, a car would, would swing in. And so he just, he just thought, oh, man, that's, this guy needs help. So he just backed off, opened a gap, and the guy came in hand out the window of the truck, the lights blinking. And in that moment, Mike realized, you know, as the driver was saying thank you to him, he realized, oh, the two events came into his mind. He said, with the woman at the, you know, the loony at the grocery store, said, I only thought of myself. I never even thought how hard and difficult it was for her. It didn't occur to me to be gracious and kind, to obey God's command, love God and love others as you would yourself. He goes, it never even occurred to me. That was my loony. I only had one loony. Oh, I had more in the car, but I had only one loony with me, and she didn't bring hers, and I had to shop. And never occurred to me, he said, to love her by saying, here, here's the loony. And yet, without even thinking about it, when the trucker needed to get in, he just backed off. You know, okay, truth time. How many of us let big trucks in front of us when we're driving on the 400 series? Yeah, raise a few. Okay, look around. These are all the liars. Okay, there are a few good people, Christians, still in this group. But uh, I should put my hand down because I'm totally lying. That bugs me. You know, you don't want a truck in front of me. That's going to slow me down to half a second. I can't believe it. (laughs) I don't want to drive behind a truck. Sorry for calling you people liars. I know you're telling the truth. (laughs) But without thinking, he just backed off to let that guy in. And then it hit him. 
I never even thought about that. I was more concerned about him than I was myself. That is what Jesus wants to create in our hearts when we automatically obey by loving others that we don't even think about it. We don't think about why we're doing it or that we even should do it. We just do it. That's what Jesus wants in you and me. And when we learn and we live and obey him that way, then people see Jesus because acts of love, even the smallest ones, never go without notice. Now, all that was the intro. Are you kidding me? Yeah, long intro, short sermon. Okay, now I'm lying. (laughs) Uh, Chapter six, verse one. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Now, why would people practice their righteousness in front of people? Well, if you know um, the times uh, that Jesus was writing, there were a number of religious groups, foremost among them all for keeping the law was the Pharisees, and the Pharisees uh, originally were began, began, as a, began as a group because they had a heart for God and they wanted to restore obedience to God into their culture and into their nation. Now they, were, they worshiped as a nation, we worship as a church, we're very different from them in that way, but their nation followed God and they wanted to bring, to right the wrongs and the the lack of obedience in the nation. They wanted to um, teach people and they wanted to pursue God and obey God and I believe was probably begun out of a heart of love for God. Let's follow God's laws like he tells us to. But somewhere along the line, there was a shift in the heart of the Pharisees so that obedience to God uh, for loving God shifted to obedience to the laws in order to gain God's approval and blessing. It became an elder brother heart, which is the reason Jesus tells that story to the Pharisees and religious leaders around him, is your heart has changed. You think now that by obeying God, somehow God owes you, and now the things that you want in life and you need and your prayers are all going to be answered because you are righteous in following God because you are like the man giving himself the horse. You're not honoring God. You're honoring self. But what God wants is a heart that obeys him out of love without even thinking about it. We just do what is good and loving because our hearts are focused on him. Now let me just add this little caveat here. It takes training of our hearts to get there. Don't be too discouraged you're not there and don't be discouraged that you never fully get there. It takes training of our hearts, confession, repentance, spiritual disciplines to bring that kind of heart in us. But God favors the person, looks with joy on the person who wants to and pursues that kind of heart. 
Now, Jesus is going to talk about three ways that these religious leaders would do their works of righteousness in front of people in order to gain their approval. Because after all, once you make the shift in your heart to, I'm going to obey to get from God, well, then the next step is very simple, and that is, I'm going to obey in front of people because I want to show how much better than them I am, and then that even gives me more cred with God. I'm even better than that. That's why that prayer by the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember that famous prayer where the Pharisee prays, oh God, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. I tithe, I pray, I do all the things. And the the tax collector prays, be merciful for me, Uh, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says it's the tax collector that went justified before God, not the guy who prayed about all his righteousness. The heart of that religious leader was to show he was better than the tax collector and therefore deserved better treatment from God. And Jesus says, this is self-righteousness. And God doesn't pay attention to it. Well, that's not even true. He pays attention, but not in a way you want him to. Jesus picks three common religious practices. We do them today to one degree or other. Verse 2, so when you give to the needy, that's a practice that God encourages. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Hypocrite was the word actor. It was playing a part that's not really you. You step into a role and you play it, but that's not who you are in reality. The hypocrites do this in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others, but truly I tell you that you have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who does what is done in secret will reward you. Well, there's a flip. So during religious festivals and high days, uh, everybody would be called. I think that might be what the trumpets is referring to. I doubt that you know, <laughs> the, the religious leaders, when they were about to give, had a guy following them around with blowing a trumpet. And then everybody looks, and then they give. It, it, the, it, it could be that, but I think more likely it's a reference to the trumpets that would call Israel to uh, worship during festival days. And everybody would go to the temple, and the offering boxes were placed out in, in uh, accessible areas out in the open. So you could see a person giving, and then the Pharisees, the hypocrites, would come as if they are generous and they would pour their offering in so everybody would notice. They would do it at a time when everybody would notice. And Jesus says, you've got your reward. You did it to impress people so they could see that you're righteous and you can prove yourself. You got it. That's your reward. But the Father says when you do it in secret, when you give in secret and nobody knows, who else could it be for? Not for you. You're not getting anything out of it. And God, Jesus says, now that's the kind of righteousness and obedience I'm talking about. Uh, by the way, uh, we practice that kind of confidential giving here. There's only probably two, three people that know what everybody gives and anybody gives. I am not one of them. And we practice that for this. This is the passage that we use to justify that practice. 
that no one can control the church by what they give. Nobody gives more important or less important. Now, there is a downside to that, and the downside is there's very little accountability because nobody really knows what you give. And so you can justify yourself in not giving because I can, I, can, I can explain away lots of things in my life to myself that if I tried to explain to you, you'd be going, no. But when it's just me having to explain me, I'm pretty good at it. And so are you. That's the downside of it. But the upside of it is this. When you give, especially if you give digitally, like on your credit card or pre-authorized withdrawal or e-transfer, nobody really knows you're giving. And the point is, you're giving because you want to give to God. Now, Jesus is actually going to talk about money, so I'm going to stop here. You're going to get walloped next week, really big. No, you're not going to get walloped. You're going to get, well, if you want to follow God, you're going to get encouraged. That's next week. So the next uh, thing that Jesus talks about is prayer. And when you pray, verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites. Remember, people who act apart, but that's not really who they are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Big, long prayers, repetition, the whole bit. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of the many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so prayer is the same thing as giving. Like, if you're praying in front of people to impress people, well, you have your reward. But when you pray in silent before God and you pray, Pour out your heart. Who knows but God? Now, many of us are well aware of the Lord's Prayer. It's it's the prayer where the disciples said, teach us to pray. And apparently Jesus uh, used this prayer as a model prayer in a number of different places because this is not the place where the disciples say, teach us to prayer. This is the place in the middle of his sermon where Jesus said, now here, if, if you're going to pray out of the heart, here's what it looks like. And so I, a lot of sermons have been preached about this prayer, and well so, because it is an incredible prayer. But I want to take a 30,000 foot level out because it's in a context of don't be doing your righteousness for everybody to be seen, but instead pray truly from the heart. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice the humility of that first statement. Submission, may your will, God, be done on earth, on my earth, in my life, just as if I were in heaven. The humility to say, I want to live out your laws, your commands, in obedience to you here on earth, as if I were living in heaven. That's humility. Your will, not mine. Give us today our daily bread. Again, another, more humility of God. I, my life, my, everything I need is dependent upon you and I humbly bow before you, recognize that, and ask you to give me what I need. Again, humility in prayer. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, Humility in life. Do you know what it takes to forgive somebody who has hurt you? Humility. Because in forgiveness we're saying we, we take our hurt and we give it to God and say, no longer about me, God. You deal with it. You deal with the person. You deal with the situation. Now help me to heal from it, but I give it to you. That's humility. I'm not going to hold on to it and make it about me. I'm going to submit to you and let you deal with it the way you see fit, and I'm going to follow you. That is incredible humility. It takes humility to forgive. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, humility to recognize I'm not perfect. And I struggle with areas of my life. And God, I humbly admit to you that I struggle. And would you help me with this area of my life? The best prayer meetings that we have, whether it's our men's Tuesday morning prayer, which is the highlight of my week, it is incredible what goes on in that prayer meeting. For, it's for men, and it's uh, every Tuesday morning. Or... Sometimes it's our our corporate prayer meeting, and sometimes the life group, when we get into prayer, and what I mean is, it doesn't happen all the time, but the times when people begin to humble themselves and stop praying prayers that impress other people or protect us, don't really go to the reality that's in our life. You know, we pray safely so nobody will know we have any problems. We're struggling with temptation. We can't forgive somebody that we're struggling to follow God in a area of our life. You know, none of those types of prayers. Just the, you know, bless so-and-so, help so-and-so, God, may your will be done at the church. All those prayers that are about other people and don't really get home, they, they make for a pretty shallow prayer meeting. But the prayer meetings where people go, God, this is true true of me, the way I spoke to my spouse, the way I lusted after that woman, the way I lusted after that man, the way I'm not giving. When people get real in their prayer and the humility, wow, you want to talk about a different prayer meeting. It's like God is there and life is breathed into us. I think that's why I love to hear new Christians pray. Because they don't know they're not supposed to pray about themselves and be honest. They think that they're supposed to tell God the truth. (laughs) How foolish. I think that's why I love hearing new Christians pray. It's because they're honest with what is going on in their life. It's a humility that draws the presence of God. But when you're praying... now, Now... Ironically. So, I have found that public prayer meetings are the best place to train my heart. Because when it's just me and God, I, like, uh, yeah, sometimes my prayers go off and they're really shallow. But most times, I mean, it's just me and God. I can tell him whatever I want. But when I'm with you praying, it's a different story. I want to protect. I want to be vulnerable with humility. And yet Jesus says that's the kind of prayer that changes people because it changes you. So next time you're in a prayer meeting, ask God, am I holding back on you? Am I praying prayers that please everybody else but don't really please you? 
Then there's one more, and I need to go through quickly. When you do fast, so then he, he jumps to fasting. When you do fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. So they would dress in such a way that you knew they were fasting. And for they disfigure their faces, they show others that they are fasting. And truly, I tell you that they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will hear your prayer. He will move on your behalf in the way that is wise and good. Now, I would be a hypocrite to stand here and tell you about fasting because that is the one spiritual discipline I really, really struggle with. I haven't made a lot of headway in this in my life. I, I just really struggle with with not eating. I, I don't know if you can identify with that, but for me, that is... I really struggle with this. And yet, it is a spiritual discipline, a spiritual exercise that God says we need to put into our lives at times through our lives. And so, because I can't really help you really well with it, I gave, there's a, uh, a handout that I put on all the chairs. It'll also be in our e-newsletter uh, e this week, and it will be online. So those of you online, you can have access to it if you want. And here's my encouragement to you. Take the article and just read it. No commitment, just read it. It's for those, really it's designed for those who don't fast and, or haven't really done it that much. Read it and then ask yourself, could I fast for one day? Could I fast for one day? My, my, my attempts are I eat my final meal like on Sunday night and then I don't eat again until Monday night. Could I do that? Start small, don't start big. I'm going on a 40-day fast. <laughs> Whew. Maybe start with one day. Because fasting is a spiritual exercise. Uh, in fact, I wasn't going to read this, but I, I, I want you to hear this. It's from Angus Buchan. He's an evangelist. Uh, For me, fasting is extremely hard, says Angus. The first thing I notice is that I become weak physically, and so I talk less and I listen more. I spend less time in prayer and more time in meditation and reading the word. I didn't expect that of fasting. I thought you'd pray more. He goes, no, no, I, I, I just can't. I don't have the energy to talk, so I just listen more. I thought that was pretty cool. The presence of Jesus becomes very real. Fasting removes all the cobwebs and skeletons in my life. Your life is highlighted, and you will be able to see how closely you walk with Jesus. Fasting gives you the opportunity to get back to God enable you to see things with clarity. And don't some of us really need clarity in our lives? Okay, let me end right here. And I would say this. Begin to ask why you are doing what you're doing. Because the why is as important as the what. Why do you come to church? Why do you pray? Why do you give? Why do you read your scriptures? Why? What is your desire? What is it you're looking for? Why? Start asking yourself, why? Lest we fall into a pattern of living our righteousness out in front of people and yet in our hearts and then in our private lives living a totally different life. Jesus says, you live like this, you have your reward. You live like this, you have me. 
Which do you want? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, the, our hearts are extremely difficult to determine and discern at times and why we do what we do. Sometimes we don't even think about it. Like Mike, he's just like, I didn't even think that I could love, show love to that woman. It didn't even occur to me. And Lord, we pray that you will move us to be people that aren't just outward Christians, but from the heart are obeying you, from the heart are seeking you, from the heart are seeking to exalt and elevate you, not ourselves. Grant us the courage and the grace to ask why. Amen.